Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Those of you keeping track, today is the third of three consecutive episodes we have devoted to the very important topic of employee engagement. Each episode has addressed a different approach to solving issues and challenges. So let me get started. Today's buzz, the power of one. Aha, you've all heard that a lot. Let me tell you how we're using it today. Employee engagement is at its highest level since Gallup started tracking this metric back in 2000. Is that really 15 years ago? I'm in shock. Well, just let's say wow. But what's the real number? It sounds great at its highest, but what's the real number? Well, the truth is less than one-third of U.S. workers said they were engaged in their jobs last year in 2014. Not exactly an overwhelming statistic, but good to know that it's at its highest. Why is this happening? Well, success in our global uber-competitive economy, you forgive the word uber there, may be less reliant on strategic investments in technology acquisitions, products. That's what you think you need. Well, people are people, and people are rely more on how you treat them as employees. That may be one of the keys you need to unlock to a higher level of employee engagement. So what does this all mean? Well, let's get down to basics. It may be time to change your corporate culture big time. You're asking how or but how, if you agree. Can one person make a difference? Well, that depends. My panel of experts are going to help us figure this one out. It sounds like a riddle. So the experts speak first up. I'm delighted to welcome back for the third week in a row. You're just a regular around here, Tom Kalopoulos, the CEO of Delphi Group. And Tom has sent me an interesting quote from a gentleman named Regis McKenna, I didn't know who it was, so I looked it up. He's a marketer who introduced many of the ideas that are now part of the mainstream in technology marketing and who helped launch some of the major tech innovations of the computer era. What can I say? So here's the quote. Culture is what you learn to survive in an organization. Wow. Tom, welcome back. How are you today? Bonnie, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you. I'm delighted with the quote, Tom, because we usually hear the Peter Drucker quote. Uh, what is it? Culture eats strategy for breakfast or strategy yes. eats culture. I get it mixed up. I hear it so often. I don't know whether it's coming or going. So I'm culture glad to eats, hear. Culture eats everything. Culture eats, culture eats it, everything. It, it, it devours everything in its path. There you go. So tell me about this interesting quote from Regis McKenna. What is he really yeah, so Regis is quite an icon. He's, he's uh, really been a staple of marketing in Silicon Valley now for, for decades. And, and some years ago, he and I were talking about this notion of culture. And at the time, I was building my organization and thinking a lot, obsessing about this, this notion of culture and how does it get created and, and, and can you consciously develop it or is it just coming to being on its own? And he said to me, you know, culture is, is something that you learn to survive in an organization. And if you don't, it just spits you back out again. And I thought about what I had seen in the many companies I had worked with and worked for and in my own company. And culture was that amorphous thing which you either fit with or you didn't. But I came to this interesting conclusion that you ask, is there one person? Can one person change culture? Ultimately, mm-hmm. there's always one person who can change culture, and that is the leader of the organization, the founder, the, the CEO. But they always do it at great peril and at great risk. And that's what makes it a touchy subject is that you can't shape culture or reshape culture without enormous risk involved. So it comes down to how much risk are you willing to take on as an individual to try to shape the culture of the organization. And by the way, you can, you know, you can take a decade to build a culture and you can destroy it in six months. The, the inverse is also true. You can bring in a new mm-hmm. CEO, uh, a merger acquisition, and destroy a wonderful culture. I've seen that happen too. Very interesting, Tom. I love the way you introduced the concept of risk. We haven't heard that term before in terms of leadership. And as you remember, last week, our topic on this three-part, what I call a micro-mini-series about employee engagement, we talked about follow the leader, and then the question of the day was, but whom do you follow? Who is the leader you need to want to follow? So very good introduction. Thank you, Tom. Really glad to have you back. Uh, you're always such a great contributor. And why don't you sit tight while I bring on our other panelists. 
Well, we're introducing right now Jeff Scott, and he spells his name G-E-O-F-F. I love that. Reminds me of old English. I'm not sure where it comes from. He is the CEO of ASUG, and he sent me an interesting quote from Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. I didn't know who Simon was, so you all know I Googled him. It turns out Simon O, the middle initial Sinek, is an author best known for popularizing the concept of the golden circle and start with why, described by TED, T-E-D, as a simple but powerful model for inspirational leadership. That's what we're all looking for. Here's the quote from Jeff Scott. The difference between those who change the world and those who don't is that those who do believe they can. I have a lot of commas in there so I can read it right. Jeff Scott, welcome. (laughs) It's a tough one. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you this morning? I'm great. Talk to me. Fascinating quote. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's one that needs a bunch of commas in it. You're absolutely right. And and I think this is a riff on the age old Yoda quote, right? Which says, Do, do not, there is no try. Um, And I do believe that culture can be you know, part of a CEO's responsibility. And as a CEO, I take culture very importantly. But I also believe that culture has a grassroots component to it as well. And this is kind of what Simon points out, that it really starts with people who are willing to stand up and and make a difference. And it starts with energy and passion and spirit. And I, I believe that culture isn't a spectator sport. It's not just for leaders to define but it's really for everyone to get out on the field and, and try their best to, to help shape the organizations that they work in because they spend so much time in their organizations. If you think about the number of hours a day you spend at work, it's really important for you to be a part and participate in that culture. Very interesting. Uh, do you agree with would you agree with Tom about the risk? Uh, l- let's go back to that and see if we can go full circle on this. Do you believe there's a risk in those who – think they can change the world. And we're talking about the power of one, basically. So do you think they're aware of the risk, or are they just saying, well, I believe I can, I believe I will, and I'm willing to risk all kinds of professional and career peril? What do you observe, Jeff? Yeah, I, I think I absolutely what resonated to me with what Tom said is the, you know, is the energy it takes to build a culture and how quickly that culture can be destroyed with just a, a hire or a, a misstep by the leadership team. And I think he's absolutely right that, you know, culture is something that, you know, I think does require a community to build, but I think mm-hmm. the leader has to be very careful about how that's being done and be willing to intercede when things start to go uh, awry. So I interesting. agree with and, and interesting, we talk today a lot about disruption disruption in the economy. What do you think the digital economy is doing? What do you think the sharing economy is doing? It's upending how we believe businesses are going to be profitable, how we believe business models will be successful. It's just just upending how we find resources that we didn't think were available or weren't available 10 minutes ago or three years ago. So disruption, and, and I love the idea that we're, we're talking about leadership. Tom, I'm, I'm mentioning this to you, talking about leadership, which was our topic, our focus last week, because we're talking about that power of one who is changing the world, changing the culture. They believe they can, and they may be oblivious to the risk. And I think one of our topics today will be, should they be oblivious to that risk and barrel ahead anyway? So that we'll just put that on the table and leave that. I want to bring on our third panelist. She is waiting so patiently. She's sitting somewhere fabulous just outside of Paris, so we have to not keep her waiting any longer. And I can't wait to hear what she's drinking today. It's Pam Seplow, Global Head of Career and Talent Management at S. SAP. And Pam has sent me a quote from Margaret Mead, who was an American cultural anthropologist, frequently features an author and speaker in the mass media during the 1960s and 70s. And here's the quote, never doubt the ability of a small group of dedicated citizens to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Another quote that needed some periods and commas, Pam Seplo, comment ça va à Paris? Bonjour, Bonnie. Bonjour. Talk to me. Great quote from Margaret Mead, and how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Delighted. Talk to me. Tell me about how you picked this Margaret Mead quote for our topic today. Yeah, so um, I love this quote, um, and I use it a lot for a lot of different purposes because I think it's just such a powerful reminder of um, what can happen when one person or a few people really believe in something passionately and can tell a story around their belief in a way that's compelling 
to other people and really resonates with other people um, so that you sort of marshal the resources or rally resources and people around um, that idea and that notion um, to really make a difference. And I think there's so many examples, I mean, both... Um, both Jeff and Tom gave some in their introduction as well of examples of, you know, both big and small where just grassroots efforts, people have come together um, with a common purpose and done just really amazing things, some of them without really intentionally doing it, um, and it just sort of became a culture change because somebody really believed passionately in what they were doing. Um, and I was actually thinking a lot about this quote over the last two weeks as we watched the news coming out of Charleston. And it was amazing to me just sort of how gracious the family and the families and community in, in Charleston have been and how very differently they reacted um, to the just horrible situation that occurred there um, and how what influence and sort of how behavior, which I think is a really big part of culture and culture change, how their behavior may be set to different tone for how other communities deal with tragedies like that when those tragedies hit their communities so very different than what we've seen in the past with rioting and picketing and striking in the streets and things like that. So I've been thinking a lot about this quote over the last two weeks in terms of not only what does it mean for culture within organizations, but also just what does it mean for culture at large within our, in our larger communities. Thank you, Pam. Thanks for stretching that past the work culture into the, the global culture. I appreciate that. Before I ask all of you what you're drinking today, I want to get some responses or reactions from Tom and Jeff on what Pam said about stretching the idea of a small group of dedicated citizens being the ones to change the culture. Or at least I, I would add to what Pam said, putting themselves at risk of coming out and changing the culture because that's what they did with their graciousness. Nobody ever expected that that empathy, sympathy, and graciousness in the light of such a tragedy. Tom, I'm not asking you to get political, but just any comments on that, and Jeff as well? Tom? Well, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I, I, I okay, think Jeff. that Pam... Yeah, I think Pam's absolutely right. I, I think it has to start with, you know, people who are willing to make that, that step and are willing to look at something and say, it's time for a change and I'm going to propose a change. And, and hopefully that's not a radical change. You know, it's not someone who goes running off, you know, screaming fire in a crowded theater, but, but rather someone and, and a group of people who say, let's, we can make this better and it's, and it's worthwhile for our energy to make it better. And again, back to my thoughts earlier, you know, you spend so much time at work participate in the culture of the organization. Just don't be a bystander. Mm-hmm. That's right. Thank you very much. Not a dress rehearsal. Tom, I want to make sure we get to you. Any comments on that before I ask you what's in your cup today? Yeah, well, you know, real quick, I, th- I think culture is yeah. always political. You, you cannot separate mm-hmm. one, one from the other, right? If you're trying to shape a culture or reshape a culture or otherwise impact a culture, then you're trying to influence people, win their support, and that's what politics is, right? It, politics is, is, the, is, the, is the, the job of influencing minds and, and winning, winning hearts and souls, and that's culture, ultimately, is getting people on your, on your side, which is why I, I often say to people, you know, you, you cannot, and I've had folks call me up and say, hey, Tom, can you come and help me build a culture of innovation? And I ask, well, how long have you been around? 20 years. Well, hold on a second. You have a culture already. What are we trying to do? Are we trying to rip it out? Are we trying to replace it with something else? Because it's never that easy, and politics doesn't happen overnight, right? It happens over long periods of, of time. Mm-hmm. So it absolutely, I love that quote, by the way, from, from Pam, Margaret Mead's quote. Uh, those people know that they're taking on something huge in shaping that culture, but they are extraordinary politicians. They're always, if they win, they're the kinds of people that can win over the hearts and minds of, of, of people, and they want to do that. Their cause is big enough that they want to do that. Tom, do you think we rely on these leaders who are disruptive and have the I believe I can attitude from Jeff Scott's quote from Simon Sinek? Do you think we rely on them to keep those changes going and we don't take enough responsibility as individuals either on a team at work or in a, in a civilization, in a society, in a community, in a neighborhood that we say, well, he promised this and he, she promised that and they didn't yeah. deliver and forget that we're part of that change. What do they say? Look in the mirror and changing, changing begins with me, with you and that's back to our power of one. Any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, a very quick thought. My, you know, the worst thing that someone can say to me is my vote doesn't count because my retort ah. is always, then don't vote, do something else, but do something. The bystanders, the complainers, those that are out of the arena, they don't get, they can bet on the, on the outcome, but they don't get to play. If you want to play, if you want to influence the outcome, then you would better be in the arena, not just betting on it from the outside. 
right? You can't win the lottery if you don't buy the ticket. Here we go. <laughs> Tom Kalopoulos, where are you calling from? What time of day it is? And what are you drinking right now or what are you dreaming about drinking? Go ahead, Tom. I- I am I am in in Boston. We just had a wonderfully magnificent line of thunderstorms come through here and knock Uh-oh. out power. We we just got our power back before the show, so I was very happy to be able to to dial in. Uh, we had some tornado warnings, which is very unusual out here. But the sun is now shining, and I am drinking a concoction here, which I've gotten sort of used to. It's a, a combination. It's a tea with kava, uh, turmeric, cinnamon, and sarsaparilla. And uh, you either like it or you hate it. I kind of felt a liking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. What do we call it? Does it have a name? Is it the is it the Calopolis special or the Delphi Group special? It has to have a name. I, I call it Love Potion Number Nine because it puts me in a great mood whenever I drink it. That's that's my. Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm sorry you told me you have tea storms and tornado warnings in Boston because I'm on Long Island, and I think there's a fairly interesting dotted line down from you to us, ah, or from maybe. yeah, from you down us, and and it's blue skies and lovely sunshine here on Long Island, and let's hope it lasts for the next. Uh, let's see, 50, 42 minutes. That's all, all we need to get through this. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Jeff Scott, where are you calling from today? And tell me something interesting about you in terms of your favorite beverage, Jeff. Oh, good morning again. I'm uh, calling from the sunny skies of Chicago, but it's chilly here today, and we've had kind of this uh, really cold uh, start of the summer, and so I'm hoping that at some point in time it'll actually seem like beach weather, um, but not yet. Um, but uh, great morning. I, I wish I was uh, drinking Love Potion Number 9 or, like <laughs> Pam, maybe thinking about a morning mimosa, um, but no, I'm a, I'm a little bit more boring this morning. I've got a, I've got a Americano in front of me, but... Uh, the good news is I was able to go around the corner this morning, grab my black lab, and put her on a leash and tie her up outside of Starbucks and grab a coffee just before we got started. So that was kind of a fun difference for the morning. How nice. Well, I'm glad it was a good occasion for you. Remind me, please, Jeff, what's in an Americano? I know I've had them once or twice. I'm more of a mocha, Starbucks mocha drinker or a uh, definitely a black coffee straight. But as you may, you don't know, Jeff, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. You have to figure out why yeah. I have water, water with a pink straw. So what's in the Americano or how do you how do you concoct that? You know, I think it's largely just a you know a, a strong shot of coffee and some hot water, and it's nice and hot. And on a cold day, it's perfect. And Bonnie, like you, my team always gets nervous when I get myself caffeinated up. I threatened them once before a big uh, keynote I was going to start drinking, uh, you know, some Red Bull for the first time, and this look of horror came across their face, and then I just smiled and walked away. So how about that for living culture? Ah, I was going to say the power of one and a Red Bull. Let's just leave that one on the table for later. Jeff, thank, thank you for the images. Appreciate that. Pam, you're in Paris. What are you drinking right now or what do you plan to drink after the show? I know it's going to be wonderful. Talk to us. Yeah, so it's already 5 p.m. here, so I've already gotten through my coffee and tea and have had several of them today, and I'm well on my way to a glass of bubbly because uh, I'm in Paris and, or outside of Paris, and when in Paris, one should drink champagne. So I have a glass of champagne sitting on the desk next to me. It's got some fresh strawberries mixed into it. It's got a very lovely flavor this this afternoon. Oh, we would love to know, is there a label on that champagne? Because I'm sure Jeff and Tom, when they get to Paris on their next trip, which could be 10 minutes after we finish the show, if you really sell it right, Pam, they would love to know what kind of champagne Pam Seplo recommends. Any clues here for us? Can you spell it? Yeah, so the, yeah sure. So the brand of this particular champagne and without a French accent is called Bollinger. And I'm sure it's much more beautiful when the French say it than when I say it. And um, what I learned from the uh, the bartender today when I ordered it was that it's the last remaining independent campaign house in France. And so oh. it's still very small and very independently run, and it's the last one like that in all of France, which I just thought was very interesting. And there is a website called champagne-b-o-l-l-i-n-g-e-r.com, independent house producing a range of non-vintage, vintage, and premium cuvées. Ah, includes the descriptions, company history, and production information. I'm sending everybody there, champagne-b-o-l-l-i-n-g-e-r.com. Thank you, Pam. And don't have too much of that until we're over with the show. Please promise me. You're already talking fast enough. We don't want to rev you up. Well, we could calm you down. Pam, delighted. And thank you so much for taking time to call in all the way from Paris. We appreciate it. I'm speaking with Pam Seplo and Jeff Scott and Tom Kalopoulos. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. If you're keeping count, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. Episode number 188, I think. I have to keep track of it. But the first show I started for SAP in the Game Changers series was October 5th, 2011. And 
and we do about 50 live shows a year, so you can do the math. Our topic today, Employee Engagement Part 3, Changing Corporate Culture. How, and I'm going to cross out the word how, and I'm going to say who, so we go back to our leadership question from last week. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with a lot more, and Tom has graciously agreed for the third week in a row. He's such a trooper, such a power of one to help me open the roundtable, and we'll be talking about the term culture. Let's do some level setting. So I'll just say to my engineer, Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. And this is part three of our three-week micro-mini-series on employee engagement. We're talking about changing corporate culture. It's a tough thing. Just the idea of the word culture is tough. So we're going to tackle that one, do some definitions and level setting with my first panelist, Tom Kalopoulos, chairman of the 25-year-old Boston-based think tank known as Delphi Group, D-E-L-P-H-I, if you want to look him up. Tom told me in his notes before the show, culture is one of those catch-all terms we use to describe both what's right and what's wrong with an organization. We talk about it like it can be directly influenced, like profitability and the cost of materials, but not really that easy. Tom, why don't you expand for us, please? Yeah, so I think one one of the most important things to understand about culture is that it takes a long time to build, and as we've already said, a short time to erode, or in some cases annihilate and and completely destroy. And as a result, it requires a very conscious effort. And and here's what I would, my counsel to people is usually, be aware of the fact that culture exists. It's not something that you can push and it'll move immediately. It can't be directly influenced, but over time, a conscious effort does shape it, does give it form and substance. And therefore, you have to be aware of this thing called culture and constantly monitor it um, and ask people in the organization about the culture. Is it positive? Is it, is it supportive? Is it somehow uh, becoming an, an impediment? And so often we don't hear those kinds of questions asked about culture as though it, it, it was something that you know, we could affect as easily as we, as we could our, our bottom line. It's not the case. It takes a long-term conscious effort to be able to, to, uh, to, to create a supportive, enduring, positive culture. The other side of that is when you bring on board a new leadership team or a new leader, they have to be similarly aware of that culture and be respectful to it, even if it's not the kind of culture long-term that they want to build. Because there's no better way to alienate people than to change or to, to threaten to change their culture radically. It has to be, unless the company is you know, on, on the precipice of, of, of doom and gloom, there's always mm-hmm. situations where you simply have to uh, change things lock, stock, and barrel because there's no other choice. But that's not, in most cases, the, the option of, of the leader. So being conscious of it, respectful of it, and asking the questions, having a conversation about it, is something that all too often we don't do but we need to do in our organizations. Tom, before I invite Jeff and Pam to comment on this, I have a question for you that I'd like them to address as well. And my question is, culture starts somewhere. A company starts with one or more people, a vision, a mission, a leader, 
an entrepreneur, the person who gets the money to fund the idea. And they bring on what they call, what we like to call their core team. And they sit down at a table and say, this is the company we want to build. Well, we're getting bigger. We need to bring on this type of person and that type of person. At what point can the, is, does culture ever stay pure from who the leader was, who originally thought up the idea, brought their personality, yeah. their work. So what what are we talking about? Does culture morph as a company get bigger? Just just tiptoe into that one, and then we'll get some comments from Jeff and Pam as well. But does it change every 10 minutes when you bring somebody new on? Well, Bob, I don't think we should have coffee breaks at 10. We should take them at 11. I don't think we should have our lunch. We should have 22-minute lunches at 2 in the afternoon. And I mean, do, do Bob and Bill and Mary who come onto that core team, are they responsible for changing the culture in the first couple months or year? And any thoughts on that, how culture starts in a company? Yeah, culture starts with the founders. There's no doubt about it. The question is how the founders mm-hmm. conscious of the fact that they're creating a culture. And I'll give you a very simple example. When I yeah. built my, my last company, um, we moved several times as the company grew um, from a few dozen to a few hundred people. And after we were a few dozen people, I finally made the decision very consciously to take every door off of every office. Mm. And from that point on, we never had doors on any offices. And it was so difficult for people that had been accustomed to yes. living in a culture with closed-door environments to work in that kind of a, of a situation. So not just cubicles, but the offices themselves okay. had no doors. People tell me now, years after that company was, was, was sold, how incredibly dynamic, although disruptive, but dynamic mm. that culture was, and how they took that with them to companies that they built. So culture is one of these things that you very consciously, as a founder, put in place. But, Bonnie, it does take on its own life. It's like a brand. Yes. You know, Coca-Cola, the brand Coke is not owned by Coca-Cola anymore. It's owned by the marketplace. And if you mess with it, if you're Coke and you mess with your brand, the market gets pretty upset at you. So you that's have to acknowledge right. that culture over time is owned by the organization. And that's why it's so hard to, to, uh, to change and, and to shift once you put it in place. So put it in place consciously because it will take on a life of its own eventually. Just like babies. What can Indeed. I say? Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott got a lot of thoughts on the table here from Tom and a little bit thrown in from me. Your thoughts? Any great examples? You work with so many companies, Jeff. What do you see? Yeah, I, I'd like to kind of reflect on a personal example. And early in my mm-hmm. career, I, I worked uh, for Ford Motor Company. And, you know, with 300,000 employees at the time, the culture was a thing unto itself. But it was really the founder, and it was Henry Ford, that began that journey. And so, so much of that culture, even many years and decades later, was still reverted back to, you know, some of the initial thoughts and principles that he had. And so, I agree with Tom that, you know, it starts with the founder, but as the company grows and changes, it it becomes part of the overall, you know, kind of fabric of the organization. And it's very slow-moving. And, you know, changes that you make to culture need to be thought through carefully and made over time, and it takes a long time for those changes to bubble through. And that's more and more true the larger the organization becomes. And I can't imagine any leader out there that wouldn't, you know, that isn't thinking about culture on a, a daily or weekly basis because it is really at the epicenter of everything you do, and that change management process is critical to how it all comes together. And you've got to think that through very carefully. Very interesting. Thanks for the example. Pam Seplo, talk to us. What, do you, what have you observed? Any personal examples or company examples you've lived through lived through that didn't gobble you up? Yeah, sure. So I totally agree with both Tom and Jeff in terms of corporate culture sort of starts with the founders, um, and it sort of morphs from there. But certainly the spirit in which the organization was founded and some of the decisions that the founder or founders make early on, like the one that um, Tom described about taking the doors off of all of the offices, mm-hmm. certainly then becomes part of the legacy or part of the history of the organization and things sort of build from there. Um, I think it's very difficult to completely change a corporate culture, even over many, many years, because it's always rooted in sort of the spirit in which the organization was founded. If I think about my organization, so if I think about SAP, um, you know, we were founded on this very entrepreneurial spirit of um, five former or five people who worked at IBM who had this idea. IBM said, don't think it'll work. They said, we think it will work. They left started this company over 40 years ago. But that entrepreneurial spirit, even though we're now over 70,000 employees, still is alive in almost everything we do. Um, and it's one of the, it's just one of the most amazing things about working for the organization is that entrepreneurial spirit. But that's, again, it takes very different shapes and forms now than it did, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or when the founders started it. But it's very much at the core of who we are and what we do. 
Thank you, Pam. I have to agree because we wouldn't be here on Coffee Break with Game Changers on our 188th episode on this series and 15 other series if I wasn't encouraged or permitted to have a spark of entrepreneurial spirit and go to my manager and say, let's start a radio show in 2011. And here we are. So I have to agree. And it amazes me every day the way SAP works as a very large, very well-functioning organization. I'm just uh, just amazed that I get to do this for a living now. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. And the culture allowed that, so I think that's very positive. Jeff Scott, I'm looking at your notes. Good conversation on this first topic, and thank you, Tom, for that. Jeff Scott, I, I want to talk about let's extend the word culture to community building. And I know this is something you hold near and dear at ASUG. Why don't you tell us just for a moment what ASUG is, in case anybody is not familiar, A-S-U-G, all in caps, and tell us the difference between culture committees and community building. Because you say in your notes, we have avoided creating culture committees, and we believe that a great sustainable culture is the result of a lot of things and not one thing in and of itself. So you have moved into the realm of community building. Can you tell us about this, Jeff? Absolutely. And, you know, ASUG is the America's, uh, North America SAP users group. So we are a group that represents all of the users of SAP technologies in North America. And we have, you know, close to 4,000 member companies um, and a huge number of individual members and 37 chapters spread throughout uh, the United States and Canada. And we, in essence, are, as ASUG, a community, right? We're a community of technologists and a community of business users who are using SAP technologies to drive change in their organizations every day. And so when we started thinking, when I first came to ASUG about a year and a half ago as the CEO, I'd been in other organizations where we created, you know, culture committees. And I think that the word culture and committee put together makes it sound like you can, you know, absolutely control culture, and I believe culture is an outcome of a lot of things and not a direct impact. And what happens when you call something a culture committee, you end up creating this view that, well, the committee is responsible for that. I don't have a particular role in it, so let the community, let the committee figure it out. And what we've really tried to do at ASUG is recognize that culture is something that can be worked on, but create a community around it and don't create a culture-specific committee. So that's kind of how our thought process has morphed over time. And we've had great success in that. And the other thing that we've done with that culture and with that community, the you know, community-building team, is said, you know, employees of ASUG, who would you like to have on that, on that group and how do they represent you? And so make it more of a democratic process. And they meet with me and our senior leadership team on a regular basis to kind of talk about what's on their mind and, and how do we move forward. Interesting. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm reading one note here in your statements, Jeff, and you say uh, they are not the fun committee. <laughs> Why not? It sounds like fun yeah, to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've seen many times where the culture committee and in other places that I've been gets morphed into the committee that plans parties and social outings ah. and holiday celebrations. And to me, that, that is just completely understates the importance that that group has. And so we're trying to avoid that you know, that tag and that perspective on what they are and, and really be more encompassing and more broad-based. Thank you. Pam Seplo, thoughts on the interesting concept Jeff shared with us? So I really like Jeff's whole notion of not having the culture committee but having more of the community um, and having the community define what that looks like and who they want to have involved in, um, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. When I think about culture, I think a lot about behaviors. And so a lot of what Jeff said resonated with me because it's about the behaviors that we want um, in the people that we work with or in the people that we're engaged with. And I think people's behaviors over time can help to change a culture um, and morph the culture into something different. But it's really about, you were talking earlier about leaders, it's about how leaders show up, but it's actually about how everybody shows up um, and, and the behaviors that people are demonstrating, which then helps shape the culture to be what you want it to be. And I think when organizations look to make culture changes, it's because the behaviors that are being demonstrated in the organization aren't driving um, them as a brand. It's not where they want to be going. And um, I'm sure that in a lot of cases, it's also starting to really hurt their business performance. So I really like that, that notion of a community. Forget if it was Tom or Jeff who said earlier, we spend a lot of time at work. And so work should be a place that 
um, resonates with me and sort of um, resonates with my value system. And so the people that I work with should behave in the same way that I want, and I or behave in a way that I want to work with people who are who are um, operating in that way. So I, as I said, I really like that notion of community rather than you know committee, if you will. Thank you. Good, good points. Tom, join us. Thoughts on this culture building, this community building? What do you see? What do you observe? What have you experienced? Yeah, so let me introduce something here, which, which I think is really important, and, and we haven't talked about it directly. We've been sort of skirting around it, and it touches on this notion of, of the community and the impact it has on culture. And it's a very simple point that I'm going to make. Make sure that you interview for culture. When, when yes. you interview someone on both sides of the table, by the way, and you're being interviewed, mm-hmm. the biggest mistake I see people making, especially at the senior level when they interview for, for a job, is they don't interview for the culture. Will I fit? And I've seen brilliant people get spit back out again so darn quickly oh, yeah. because they didn't interview for the culture. So you have to accept that, you know, as Jeff was, was saying, this doesn't change quickly. So you may want to come in like a bull in a china shop and, and make all these changes. It's not going to happen. Uh, the, the china doesn't break as easily as, or it breaks too easily sometimes. And, and you will end up uh, being put, put, put back out, you know, very, very quickly because you just didn't fit in that organization. Very quick, if I can, Bonnie, I, when I yes, sold my please. company, uh, we sold to a large multi-billion dollar organization. And um, I, I was absolutely... Uh, devastated by the cultural shift that occurred. Everything else was wonderful. It was a great, uh, it was a great time in, in all of our lives. But yet I spent the next three years defending our culture, trying to hold on to it. And I realized after the fact, it's not what I should have been doing. What I should have been doing is trying to assimilate into this new culture. And a good friend of mine who was an EVP at a Fortune 500, he gave me some counsel because I was whining. I said, you know, you know the, the culture and the politics were so terrible. And Jurgen said to me, Tom, what you don't get is that they're not good, they're not bad, they're what they are, but they're not your politics. They're not your mm. culture anymore. And I think it's so important to understand that culture, as we said at the very beginning, devours everything. So interview for it. Understand that fit. And if it doesn't work, if the fit's not there, it might be a good indicator that it's not the right place for you. Tom, that's such a good point you raised. And, and you said we hadn't gotten to it and skirted it. It was on my mind. I don't take notes through the show, but it was on my mind to say when you bring somebody new into the organization, as I mentioned, when you're building a corporation, a company, an entrepreneurship, a little tiny startup, everybody you bring to that core group, every manager you bring in is going to add something, some personal preference or dislike to the way the culture is shaped. So when you sit across that interview table, I find it extremely hard to know what's really going on behind the scenes. And and my uh, metaphor for that, Tom and, and Jeff and Pam, if you'll allow me, is that when you go to a fancy party and everybody is dressed beautifully and perhaps they have butler and waiter service and somebody's passing the most gorgeous hors d'oeuvres on the most beautiful silver trays and Pam they are serving you champagne in the most gorgeous crystal flutes and everything is wonderful and let's say you're a woman and you forget oh I don't know you forget I was going to say a cigarette case but we don't talk about that anymore you forget your lipstick you leave it in the ladies room or whatever and you go back the next day you go back the next day and you knock on the door. Well, there are cigarette stains or something in the carpet and the dishes are piled high in the sink and the waiter and butler and maid are all gone and you had to park your own car and the place is in disarray. And that to me is the truth about what really goes on in a place like that. And I've had the experience where I've interviewed for jobs that I thought were really interesting and exciting and I arrive for work on the, on the first day and find out, I was absolutely clueless about the horrific culture that was really going on behind the scenes. Tom, any quick comments from you? And then Jeff and Pam, how do you interview for culture is my question. Tom? Yeah, so uh, you know what? I, I love the analogy. The, the, it, it very simply put, you ask people how they behave, going back to what Pam was saying earlier. Um, how do you show respect for other people? How do you interact with, with, with others? You know, give me examples of how you've dealt with conflict. Give me examples of how you've dealt with situations where uh, you were not uh, being uh, appropriately rewarded or recognized. I, I want to know what people's behaviors say about the kind of culture that they're accustomed to and that they will fit in. Those are the kinds of things that, to me, are most important when I'm interviewing someone. Assuming that they've got the basic skills. They wouldn't be there if they didn't have the basic skills, right? right? I want to know behavior because behavior tells me what kind of culture they fit into. It's like a first date. Jeff, thoughts on this? How do you interview for culture? How do you, on either side of the table, what do you see? Uh, Bonnie and Tom, I think you're pointing out, you know, a very important concept that is very complex to execute in reality, right? Because Mm -hmm. this isn't about, this is like speed dating, right? And and you go right to marriage. So you 
you know, you, you have a date of, of an hour and then you decide whether or not you're going to get married. And then once you get married, you're like, what is this really about? And, <laughs> yep. you know, I mean, and I've had, you know, situations where I've gone into an organization thinking the culture is X, only to find out, as you pointed out, Bonnie, the culture is really Y. Oh. And, you know, and um, what, what it looks like on the outside is not necessarily what's happening on the inside. And I think Tom rightly points out you've got to ask those probing questions, right? How do you, you know, describe a time when you did this or how would you respond in a situation such as that? And, you know, so much of this comes down not just to, and, you, know, per, you know, to skills, hard skills and competencies, but personality. And I find yes. in my role at ASUG, my job is really to interview for personality and personality fit, not necessarily to, to, to worry about skills. I, I let the, my team scan for skills, and when I have the opportunity to sit down with someone, I'm really finding out who they are, what's their personality, will they work well with others around, and sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I don't. Mm, And I I wish there was a formula for it, and there's not. I do, too. I I worked for a small real estate company with two just genius people who were partners. They hated each other's guts. And after six months, one would walk in and said to me, if you do what my partner asked you to do, Bonnie D. Graham, you will be single-handedly responsible for destroying the entire company we've taken 20 years to build. Do you really want to do what Mary asked you to do? Mary would walk in 10 minutes later and say, did you do the task? I I was their marketing director. Did you do what I asked you to do? And I said, well, Bob just walked in. and Oh, forget about Bob. Who cares? I'm the one who asked you. This went on, this battle. And I was, I was, basically the uh you know the spark one of the sparks that they were battling over and it was it was a lose-lose situation i tell you but how in the world would you ever detect that in an interview situation i'm going to turn to pam and am i right how how do you find that out who do you who do you nobody's going to tell you that nobody's going to say we have an incendiary culture where it's a he said she said backstabbing culture we live with it every day nobody's going to tell you that because they'd be fired for telling you that the butler was only hired temporarily and there really are stains on the carpet so pam i want you to get in on this any thoughts on how do you really know the culture of an organization on that first date which would be the interview yes it's a good question and one that me and my team spent so much time thinking about as we think about how do we how do we onboard new people into the organization and how do we help people transition into new roles in the organization because i think even internally when you go from an area to another or you take over a new team or you become part of a new team that in and of itself is a culture change um and so what are the norms within that team which are just norms a microcosm of the norms of the organization. Um, Bonnie, your story ending me early on in my career, um, one of the things that I had responsibility for was onboarding, and um, we would do it every week in one in one of two locations. And so one day I was doing it with, with, a, with a colleague of mine, and I said to her at the break, oh, I don't think Joe is going to make it here. I just, I just don't think SAP is a good fit for him. And she said to me, oh, that's interesting. I was thinking the same thing. Why do you think that? So we talked about that. And then we decided that for six months, we were just going to track every person that we saw come through, whether or not we thought within a six-month period of time, and then a year, whether or not they would still be there or not. And it was just purely based on the way we saw them react to how we were running onboarding, which was very much the sort of experience that you would expect um, in that organization. Mm-hmm. And so it's six months for a rolling, we let six months go by, and then for a rolling six months, we just tracked whether or not people were still there or not. We had a 93%. And so what we tried to do was then to scale that level, I guess, and try to figure out what it was about um, those folks that made us think that on day one and how could we turn that into a series of interview questions so that we weren't in those situations, neither for us nor for the person. It's a horrible place or a horrible situation, as you described, be in a work environment that isn't a good cultural fit for you. And so I think yep. the onus is not only on organization about fit, but I think it's also incumbent on the person who's interviewing for the role to make sure that they've asked good questions um, around what is the culture really like. I can, Pam, I agree. Pam, we, um, you're dropping. I can often tell in an interview when I describe yep. my day um, or the way a week of mine goes by or the way I'm up, by the way people react. So some people glaze over. I think they're not the right fit for my organization, and some people you can Pam, we're losing you. You're dropping in and out. Are you still there? I was going to ask you about something in your notes. Pam, talk to me. Do we still have you? 
Brad, I think we lost Pam's line. Uh, I'm going to use an example. Pam, if you're there, just jump in at any point. I think we lost her. Jeff and uh, Tom, if you're still with me, I think you are. I'm going to bring up a point from Pam's notes just as an example of the power of one. I'll have you both comment on it. I hope we get her back. Uh, Pam said there was an example at SAP where an employee got interested in mindfulness about seven years ago, and this was way before the mindfulness trend became a trend. This general, this person was very passionate about it, and he started bringing some of his mindful practices that he had studied into the team meetings, project meetings, and he wasn't even calling it mindfulness. Oh, Pam reconnected. Pam, are you here? We got you back? I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm talking about your mindfulness example. This person started bringing mindfulness practices into the team. He would blog about it, post articles about it, and guess what? Little by little, people started saying, hmm, that sounded interesting. Maybe I'll use this part of mindfulness in my daily practices. I'll use that part of mindfulness. And now the organization teaches and promotes mindfulness. Jeff, any comments on this wonderful example from Pam on how the power of one does have a way very quietly of impacting culture? I think one of the great things is to figure out how do you unlock people's passions, right? And this is so difficult to do in, in, in larger organizations. And I think that's really the key and what I, what I took from Pam's comments is having those people find their passions and feel confident that they can express those passions in a way that helps move the organization forward. I think one of the worst things that I can do as a leader is to shut that down. I've got to, you know, let those passions flourish. And they may not be my passions. They may not be something that I'm terribly interested in. And I find myself sometimes biting my lip and saying, you know what, I'm not sure this is going to work. But let me let that person go because by doing that, you build their confidence, you build their self-esteem, and they believe that they can have an essential voice in that organization, in the organization you're in, and let them have that voice. And I think most of the 99.9% of people want to do good things, want to come to work every day, do a great job, have an impact, be impactful. Let them do that in a way that works for them and not in a way that works in the, in the very narrow way that the organization defines it. So I, I agree. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Tom, do we have you back? We were missing I am, you for a I minute am back. There. Yeah, sorry. Like I said, I dropped for a second there. Uh, look, I, you know, a very simple analogy, Bonnie. I think uh, culture is, is sort of like a, a compass and a sailboat. You know, we all have the chance to, to influence the direction of the boat by the role that we have on that sailboat. But you, you, you don't follow the compass all the time. Sometimes you tack. Other times you jibe. You know, you don't go into the wind. You might have to back off to come back at it again. It's not a straight line. And, and you know, what Jeff was just saying is so critical. You've got to give people the latitude to move mm-hmm. off course sometimes, and that can be dangerous. That can be risky. Uh, culture is that way, but it's a compass setting, and we will often deviate from the, from the compass setting in order to get back on track later on. But in that deviation, we learn things, we shape the culture, we enhance it, and we create an organization that is more solid and, and, and is able to, to use that culture in a more productive, more effective way going forward. Thank you, Tom. We're almost ready to go into predictions, but Jeff Scott, I have one more note here in your in your uh, notes you sent me before the show that I, I believe bears introducing to the conversation. I'll just have you comment, and then we'll turn it over to Tom for predictions. Okay, 59% of employees think that responsibility for changing culture lies with the CEO and other leaders, top leaders. That means 49% don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful that what this says to everyone is you just don't put the culture in the hands of the CEO. And, and what I'm hoping is that 49% means that that 49 is growing and the 59% is shrinking. Um, I absolutely believe as a CEO that I have a direct responsibility for culture, and my responsibility for culture is to make sure that it's the sum total of what our employees and our team want to do every day when they come to work. And my job is to enable that culture, not to direct it. Um, and, you know, and obviously back to Tom's point, you know, understand that sometimes you need to jive and other times you need to, you need to you know, tack. But, you know, what can I do as a leader to nudge and, and prod that culture and be very mindful that I can have a tremendously destroying effect on it if I'm not careful? And so I hope that those 49% become 50 and 55 and 60% over time. I want every employee to have a voice. Thank you very much. Guess what? 
Tom, I hope you're still with me. We're ready for predictions. I'm just going to say, because you know the drill. Let's fast forward. I love the year 2020. You may not be able to see that far ahead, or you may see way beyond. So Tom Kalopoulos at Delphi Group, if we had to fast forward to some point in the future, talking about changing corporate culture, a.k.a. the power of one, what will be different and tell me the time frame? I can give you exactly 45 seconds. Tom, go. Social media is making us each an army of one, and we have enormous power to influence through that capability. So I think what you'll see, Bonnie, is that everyone, to pursue the sailing analogy, will have a hand on the line and a hand on the helm, and culture will be an incredibly dynamic conversation. Give it a voice. Call it what it is. Talk about it, because everyone is going to try to shape it and influence it, because they'll have the tools by which to do that. Thank you. Yes, social is something we didn't talk about that much. This is such a a big topic, a huge topic. We may have to revisit it later in the year, and, uh, of course, I'll invite the three of you back. Jeff Scott, what do you think? How far into the ASUG crystal ball can you see? You know, I'm I'm certainly going to jump onto the sailboat with Tom. Um, And, (laughs) you know, uh, I think um, I'm looking at a booze and company infographic that says 51% of the respondents think a major overhaul is currently needed in their culture. And I'd love to see that number go from 51% down to 30 or 20%. And I think the way you do that is you don't sit on the sidelines and play Monday morning quarterback. You get into the game. And you, you take that risk, that personal risk, to stand up and say, this is what I believe, and have your voice heard. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, Pam Seplo, you're back. My dear, we saved one minute for predictions for you, exactly 60 seconds. Tell me, what do you see going forward? Do you like the year 2020 or how far in the future can you see and what will be different about this topic? Pam Seplo, go. Yeah, so I definitely think people will still be talking about culture and culture will still obviously be what drives organizations. So I don't see the topic going away at all. Um, I see more people getting involved. Um, so I think that was Jeff who was just talking about that. I think more p- that's the way you drive better engagement, and it's a bit of a vicious cycle or a, a, a circular thing. The more people who get in- engaged and involved, the better your corporate culture becomes and vice versa. Um, so I definitely see it being a topic that we continue to discuss and that organizations are still really focused on. And as the world is changing around us, the corporate culture that we sit within becomes even more important in order to attract and retain the talent that we need within our organizations. Thank you very much, Pam. Glad you were able to reconnect. By the way, uh, Jeff and Tom are sailing off in that sailboat with some kind of a compass. I don't know if they're planning to do extreme sailing, but we had the co the co captain, skipper, and tactician of the SAP Extreme Sailing crew on the show last week, and and, uh, he certainly was in for a very interesting ride. But I want to make sure Jeff and Tom bring Pam along for the champagne. That's going to make it a much more more interesting ride. Everybody, I'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern with our show, The Internet of Things with Game Changers. Guess what we're going to talk about? When things, and things is the big word, and it's all in caps, when things don't live up to the hype, or when things don't do what we thunk they were going to do. Very interesting about the culture of things. Thank you so much, Tom Collab. It's been a pleasure having you on. Three weeks, what a long run. A lot of encores in there, Tom. Thank you for your time. Jeff Scott, such a pleasure to meet you. Pam Seplo, it's been way too long since we've connected. Let's stay in touch. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call. Oh, shout out to Sherry Ann Meyer, who put this triple threat three-week episode together on employee engagement. Thank you, Sherry Ann. And big surprise, Sherry Ann is going to have her own series with me starting in the fall on this type of topic. You don't want to miss that. Watch for announcements. And thank you to Brad, our engineer in the Business Channel team. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now. The power of one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.